Hey, this is Pastor Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. Hey, while you're on your phone, why don't you follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram and download the Fern Creek Christian Church app today because we want to stay connected with you throughout your week. We hope this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus. So without further ado, here's the message. God is on the move, and if you're ready to link arms with us at Fern Creek, we would love to talk to you about that any Sunday. Uh, one other quick thing, um, about three times a year, I get the opportunity to teach a little class called Foundations, and it's a three-week class. It's gonna start this Wednesday night, and it's really designed for folks who've kind of been visiting with us a little bit. You know, you can come to a church and you can kind of visit for a while, and, but you really want to kind of do a deep dive at some point on what does the church really believe theologically speaking. And so the next three Wednesday nights, I'm going to kind of just walk through nine essentials uh, of not just our church, but hopefully of an evangelical church. We'll talk about why do we baptize the way we do? Why do we take communion every Sunday? So if you've been visiting with us, I would encourage you, man, if, you, if Wednesday nights work for you, sign up for Foundations. If you're a member at Fern Creek, my heart's desire is that every single one of us would take this class at some point. Uh, and so again, Foundations launches this Wednesday. There's a little round table that Rich will be at on your way out, and I would love to see if this Wednesday night, the next three Wednesdays work for you. So uh, that's, uh, that's really what I wanted to kind of just put, put on, on the table with you this morning. So, so we're in this series called God's Incredibles. We're taking a look at some really ordinary people who did incredible things for God, and we come to one of my all-time favorite of, of God's Incredibles. Her given name at birth was Hadessa. It's a really good Jewish name, Hadessa. And, and her name meant myrtle, <laughs> not the turtle. <laughs> All right. Myr myrtle the tree. This little girl was named after a tree that grows in Israel called the myrtle tree. Now, little myrtle has experienced a lot of hardship in her life. Um, she's a refugee. Her, her country has been demolished in war, and she's been deported to a strange land. She's an orphan. Her mother and father are dead, so she's being raised by a cousin. So she's been deported to a strange land, and, and I think like many, many people who, who might come to a different country, at some point, she wants to kind of maybe identify with the land in which she's living, so she's going to change her name from Hadessa uh, to, to, to something Persian. So it goes from a Jewish name to a Persian name. Now, where are all my Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters? Are you here? My Spanish? Hola, como estas? I don't know if I butchered that or not. I don't know. But I don't know a lot of Spanish, but I do know the Spanish word for star, Estrella, right? Estrella. Do, do you hear her Persian name, Esther? Esther means star. So she's going to change her name from a Jewish name, you know, Hadessa, to this Persian name, Esther, that means star. So Esther and her cousin Mordecai are living in uh, the capital city of Persia, a place called Susa. It's where the king of Persia has his palace, a guy named Xerxes. Now, King Xerxes has a problem. And his problem is those stinking Athenians, the Greeks. 
the Greeks were the only army that had pushed Persia back. I mean, Persia has gone undefeated militarily, except with the Athenians. His daddy waged war on the Greeks, but his daddy got pushed back. It was at a battle called Marathon. So Xerxes' daddy loads up the military, sail to attack the Greeks. They're met at this place called Marathon where the Greeks pushed them back. Now, you, you know the Battle of Marathon, and here's how you know it. Because the Greeks were victorious, they sent a runner to run from Marathon to Athens. And this guy didn't take off his sword, didn't take off his armor. He ran 26.2 miles from Marathon all the way to Athens, runs into the Senate to tell them, we've won, we've won, we've... Uh. He has a heart attack and drops over dead. And so every year we memorialize that run by doing what? marathons, right? Where we have all these people who start off happy and smiling and after 26.2 miles, some of them die probably, right? Or you feel like dying after running a marathon. So Xerxes is ticked at the Athenians and he vows revenge. You gave our country a black eye. You gave my daddy a black eye. And when I become king, I will extract my revenge. And that leads us into Esther chapter one. Watch what Xerxes does. Look at verse three. In the third year of his reign, Xerxes gave a banquet for all the nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Medina, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted how many days? 180 days. A tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire, his pomp and splendor, and his majesty. Xerxes needs help fighting the Athenians, so he's going to throw this party, a party of all parties. Now, back in my day, Prince wanted to party like it was 1999. You remember that? No, you wanted to party like it was 489 BC, right? Because Xerxes throws this six-month Party! I mean, they're drinking from solid gold cups. He's trying to wine and dine the, the, uh, the officials from all the provinces. He wants to raise a million-man army to go and attack the Greeks. And as that six months is winding down, everybody's sad, but this has been the party of all parties. And Xerxes says, hey, got an idea. Turn that frown upside down. Why don't we go another week? And they're like, party on, another week. So they party for seven more days. And then look at verse 10. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was <laughs> high in spirits from wine, he commanded, bring before me Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. I cracked up high in spirits from wine. It's just a fancy way of saying he was plastered, three sheets to the wind, drunk as a skunk, right? And, and when men get together and they drink too much, they often do very stupid things, right? I don't know how it started. Maybe it started this way as the men are all drinking, you know, they're bragging about their women. You ought to see my wife. My wife is smoking hot. Another guy says, your wife's not hot. She's got teeth like a beaver, man. My, my wife is hot. Because, so, ladies, that's what we do. Like when you're not with us and we get together, we brag about you and we say how lucky we are to be with you. Isn't that right, guys? Amen? Yeah. Oh, you blew. Guys, this was your chance. Like this was like, you just bonked a layup, right? Let's do this again. See, ladies, when we guys get together and you're not with us, all we do is we brag about you, we rave about you, we tell all the other men how lucky we are to be with you. Isn't that right, fellas? 
That's a little better, a little better. So Xerxes has enough, and he says, listen, my wife is the hottest wife of the land. As a matter of fact, to prove that point, messenger, come, go, go and, and go get Vashti, go get my queen and tell her to wear her crown and strut around. That's what, and all the other guys are like, woohoo, yeah, yeah. Because again, that's what we do. That's what men do when they've had a little too much to drink. They just do stupid things. And so Vashti is having her party and she's having a girls only party and they're doing girly things and talking about girly things, probably having tuna fish sandwiches. I don't know what they're eating, but they're having their girl party. And the messenger runs in. Sorry to disrupt your party, Queen Vashti. Uh, the king has sent me with a message. Well, what is the message? Well, <laughs> he unrolls the scroll. Uh, he wants you to come wear your crown and strut around. <laughs> and all the women look at Queen Vashti. And Queen Vashti says, well, I've got a response to him. Well, what is the response? And she says, tell him, lo. The Hebrew is translated, sit on it, potsy. <laughs> that's that's kind of what she says to him, right? No, in your dreams, not coming. Because that's what women say to men when they're crude. Isn't that right, ladies? Okay, you botched that one too, but that's all right, you know? So she says, not going to do it. So the messenger runs back to the king's party, and he comes in, and there's no queen. And the king says, where is she? Where is she? The guy unreal. Well, she sent a message. Let me make sure I get it right. Uh, King, she, uh, your majesty, she says, sit on the posse, right? And so all the other guys are like, well, he's there to recruit these commanders to bring their men, and the queen has just told him no. So he, man, he, he banishes her forever. Like, he gets rid of her. Like, that moment, he exiles her, never to see her again, never to come back again. And that is the end of chapter one. In between chapter one and chapter two, let me tell you what happens. He is successful in rounding up, uniting the Persians. They are gonna set sail to attack Greece to extract his revenge. And maybe you've heard of this. As he lands in Greece with his million-man army, he marches towards Athens, but he's met at a little pass called the Thermopylae Pass. And he's met by a guy named Leonidas, and his 300 Spartans. Maybe you've seen the movie, The 300. Well, that's Xerxes is, is th this is the Xerxes of Esther. And so Leonidas and his 300 Spartans will try to hold him off. And they're successful for, for, for a little bit of time, but they're overwhelmed. Xerxes will kill Leonidas and the Spartans. He'll march into Athens. But Leonidas has given all the men of Athens, all the women of Athens, time to escape. So Xerxes comes into Athens and it's deserted. Instead of burning the city down, he, he discovers that the Athenians have gotten into small boats and have escaped, so he's go, he goes after them. But the Persian ships are too big. The Athenians are able to escape. As a matter of fact, the Athenians kind of thwart him. So Xerxes comes back beaten, bruised, wounded, like emotionally, and he comes back to no queen. There's no queen. So he's, he's kind of in this state of despondency. So can't have a depressed king. So the nobles get together and they say, hey, we've got an idea. Let's invite all the single ladies, since you don't have a queen, let's invite all the single ladies from all the provinces. Let's have a little contest. Each week we'll have a rose ceremony, right? And, and you can like, you can like whittle it down and, and at the end you can name your queen. And that's exactly what they do. They have this contest. And wouldn't you know it, our little 
unknown Jewish orphan girl, Esther, comes to the last rose ceremony, and he says, will you accept this rose? And she says, I will, and she becomes queen. And you read this, and you go, my, how the tables have turned for Esther. Esther moves into the castle. Uh, she gives her cousin a, a job to kind of sit at the city gates, and as Mordecai sits at the gates, uh, he overhears two of the king's bodyguards plotting an assassination on the king. So he sends that to Esther, and Esther sends that to the king. It's investigated. The plan is thwarted. The king's life is saved. Again, my, how the tables have turned. All that happens to Mordecai is his name is written down in the history of the kings. He's not promoted. He's not given any accolades. They just slip the little note. Mordecai the Jew saved the king's life, and it's buried in the in the chronicles of the king's history, and life rolls on. Xerxes has a right-hand man enter the villain of the story, Haman. Haman is the chief of the princes, the chief of the nobles. And as Haman rides into the king's gates every day, everyone bows to Mr. Haman. Good day, Mr. Haman. Nice to see you, Mr. Haman. Looking good, Mr. Haman. Everybody bows except for Mordecai the Jew. Mordecai will bow to no one. And, and Haman is, is grieved. Everyone respects me. Everyone honors me. But this one stupid man named Mordecai, and he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew. And listen to what he says. Look at Esther 3, 6. Having learned who Mordecai's people were, he, Haman, scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. I read that this week, and I'm like, doesn't it seem odd? Like, okay, you were slighted by a guy, you were offended by one man, but now you want to wipe out an entire race of people just because of one guy? But then it kind of made sense to me because, I mean, you know, you know that the day you were born, you were born into a spiritual battle, right? I mean, you, you, you know you're, you're in the middle of a spiritual battle. Like, like the Bible says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual principalities. Like you are caught in a war between good and evil. You're caught in, a in, in between a battle of light and dark, right? You know that. And, and so it makes perfect sense that Satan always is on the lookout to try to thwart God's plan. And what you might see is like a physical uh, act of aggression. <laughs> There's always a force behind that. So I really believe Satan is using this guy Haman to try to break God's plan. Like, like Satan knows if I can kill all the Jews, no Messiah will ever be born. And if no Messiah is ever born, I don't ever lose. So, man, there, there, is, there is this physically evil plan, but there's a spiritually evil plan that's behind that. And so, you know, Haman declares, uh, goes to the king and says, there's a group of people that's subversive to you. They're called the Jews, and I think you need to kill them. Now, no one knows Esther's a Jew. The king doesn't know. Haman doesn't know. She's kept her heritage a secret. Why? Because she never would have entered the contest properly. So no one knows she's Jewish. So the king says, all right, yeah, uh, uh, Haman, if you, you, you think they're a threat, let's, I decree on this date that we'll exterminate all the Jews. Well, Mordecai the Jew, this gets back to him, and he falls apart. I mean, he puts on burlap and weeps, and 
And the queen gets word that, man, he is in this, that she doesn't know what going, what's going on. So he sends a message to her saying, man, you've got to do something. Like, the king has made this edict, and on this day, all of our people are going are gonna to be annihilated. You've got to do something. And Esther says, I can't do anything. Like, I can't just waltz into his presence. Like, he hasn't sent for me in months and if I go into him unannounced, he could kill me. I, I don't know what you want me to do. I can't do anything. And then, I mean, do, do, do you kind of understand what she's doing, right? Esther's hesitating, and, and, I, and I think there's a lesson for us. Let's just stop for a second in the story. We're caught in this battle of good and evil. We're caught in this cosmic battle. And so I, I think we know there's a battle. I, I think we get that. But, but sometimes, don't we do this? Sometimes, don't we kind of like fudge a little bit and say, well, there's really nothing I can do. Esther is in this safe little bubble of the castle. No one knows she's Jewish. What can I do? And I think sometimes we, you know, well, I'm not really being persecuted. I hear about persecution, but it, it really hadn't hit me yet. So, you know, maybe we, should, we shouldn't really say anything. I don't need to be the lightning rod. And, and here's how we do this. Well, it's not really my place to tell people what Mary should or shouldn't be. It's not my place. Or maybe we say, you know, uh, it's not culturally sensitive right now to talk about life and when life begins. So yeah, I don't need to be the lightning rod. I don't need to really say anything. I'll just fly under the radar and just kind of, I mean, sometimes that, that's what a lot of us do, right? So as the spiritual battle rages, Esther kind of steps back and just kind of says, well, there's really nothing I can do. And she seeks safety behind the walls of the castle. And then Mordecai sends her this note. Listen to what he says, Esther 4.13. He says to his cousin, don't think that because you're in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, Esther, but that you've come to the royal position for such a time as this. And it's one of these moments when he says, you've gotta, get, you've gotta get in the battle. Don't just sit on your hands. Don't just wait for someone else. The enemy has a plan, but God has a plan too. And I want you to hear this. Maybe, maybe God has a plan for you. Like, like maybe he wants your voice to be heard. Maybe he wants you to be the one that stands. And so, I mean, I mean, maybe God has placed you in your position of influence for such a time as, as whatever will come. And, and he wants you to be his instrument. And so Esther, I think she gets it. She's like, you know, you're right. Go and have the people fast for me for three days, and then I'm gonna, I'll go. And if, he, if I perish, I perish. If, if I walk in and he doesn't want me and he, uh, what he did to Vashti, he does to me, so be it. And, and so she does what is unlawful. She enters his presence without being announced, but the king's heart is turned towards her and Xerxes says, you know, it's been so long since I've called for you. Come in, Esther, I find so much favor in you. What do you want? I know you're here for a reason, what do you want? even up to half the kingdom. Tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. And, 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 you, and you go, here it is. Here's her chance. Call it out. Spill the beans. But, but Esther senses something's not right. She needs Haman in the room. Haman's not in the room. And so she, 
she punts and she says, well, I'll tell you what I want. I wanna throw a party for you and I wanna throw a party for Haman. Would you come to a barbecue tomorrow? And, and he's like, that's my woman. Absolutely, we'll come to a party if you wanna throw a party for us. And Esther teaches us a very important lesson right here. Sometimes the best thing to do is just wait. Now, there are times when you gotta move and you gotta move now, but aren't there so many times where you go, if I just would've slept on that thing, if I would've kept my mouth shut for like 24, if I would've just given God a little more time, I, I, think, I think it was the great lyrical poet Axel who said, all we need is just a little patience. Mm-hmm, a little patience. And I think sometimes that's the best course of action to follow. Just be a little patient. And so Haman is told, the king, uh, the queen is gonna throw a party. It's a private party just for you and the king. Would you come to the party tomorrow? And he's like, excellent, can't wait. A party just with me and the king, I'm in. So he hears this great news. And on his way home, Everybody's bowing. Hello, Mr. Heyman. Good to see you, Mr. Heyman. Looking good, Mr. Heyman. You losing weight, Mr. Heyman. And everybody's bowing. There's Mordecai. Arms crossed, not bowing a bit. Somehow it eats at him so much, he gets home and he just unloads, kicks the dog, kicks the cat, yelling at his wife. And she says, hang on, who are you? What is your position? This guy, I know we're gonna exterminate all the Jews on this day, but I'm tired of this, tired of you. You march in tomorrow and you tell the king you want him dead tomorrow. As a matter of fact, tonight we're gonna build a hangman's gallows 75 feet tall. And you're gonna go tomorrow, you're gonna demand that the king hang this guy, get over it, get through it, start building. So he's like, well, all right. I'll build the gallows. So all night, man, he has his team build this big hangman's noose that's seven stories tall. While he's building the gallows, that same night, the king can't sleep. Xerxes, there's no ESPN, there's no Lunesta, right? He can't sleep. So what, what do you do when you can't sleep? Well, let's, let's read some history. That'll, that'll knock me out, right? So they bring in the king's history books and they start, somebody's reading him a bedtime story of all the history that's gone on. And wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know, at some point in the middle of this reading, there's this little line about how Mordecai the Jew uncovered a plot, an assassination attempt on your life. We investigated, it was true. He saved your life. And the king says, whoa, 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 whoa. How come I never heard about this? Well, we didn't want to bother. Oh, like, like what did we do for that guy? Well, sire, let me check. Well, we didn't do anything for the, we didn't do anything for the man who saved my life. Well, that's totally wrong. By now the sun's coming up. Who's in the, who's in the courtyard? Who's, who's here to see me? Well, let us check. Well, sire, it's, it's Mr. Haman. He's here early. Send Haman in. Now what's Haman there to do? Kill Mordecai the Jew. Haman walks in and says, sire, I need to talk to you. No, sire, I shh. So Haman shuts up. And Xerxes says to Haman, Haman, there's a man in my kingdom that has done great things for me. And I've never really honored him the way he deserves to be honored. Haman, what would you do to the man who makes the king happy? Well, Haman thinks it's him. Well, he's gotta be talking about me. I mean, who else makes him happy? Who else is his most loyal subject? Well, sire, here's what I would do. If I were you, 
And if the man made you really happy, I would take your robe. Oh, the robe that only the king is supposed to. And I'd put your robe around his shoulders. And I'd put that man on only the horse you ride. Put him on the horse that only you can ride. And then have someone, some lowlife, lead him through the town, yelling at the top of his lungs, this is the man the king takes delight in. This is the man the king wants to honor. That's what I'd do. And Xerxes says, fantastic. I need you to go do that to Haman, or to Mordecai the Jew. Haman, you lead Mordecai the Jew around the city and you do exactly that to him. And you know there was this Homer Simpson dope moment, right? And so that's what Haman has to do. He puts Mordecai the Jew, the guy that he wants dead, the next morning, he puts him on a horse, leads him through the city. This is the man the king wants to honor. This is the man the king delights in. And you know, Mordecai is like, can't hear you. <laughs> A little louder, please, <laughs> right? And so, man, Haman is dejected. He's depressed. I can't believe what's going on. But he's got the party. Got the party with the king and the queen. So he goes to the party. He goes to the party and, and the king says to Esther, Esther, you've thrown this party for a reason. Honey, what is it? What do you want? And Esther knows the time, like she's got one shot at this. And she knows it's now or never. The people are where they need to be. The time is right. And she says, again, no one knows she's Jewish. And she says, honey, sire, your majesty, someone is trying to kill me. Someone is trying to kill, not just me, but to kill my people. The king says, who, how dare someone threaten the life of my queen? Honey, who is it? She says, the mean, vile Haman. <laughs> and I always picture it in my mind that he was in mid-drink, and when his name is made, he's like, Psh, he spits out his drink, right? Whoa. The king can't believe it. The king flies out of the room in a rage, and if I told you the story, the rest, you wouldn't, I'm gonna read it. You're not gonna believe what happens. Look at Esther chapter seven, verse seven. Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden at the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she's with me in my house? And as soon as word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. <laughs> now, let me tell you this. The next time you think you've had a bad day, I want you to remember Haman. He's had to lead his nemesis, the guy he wants dead around town, bragging about how the king loves him. He's been... Uh, declared like he, he wants the queen dead, like he had no idea that she was Jewish. And, and as he leaves to beg Esther for his life, he slips as he runs to Esther. He doesn't fall on the ground. He doesn't fall on a table. He falls right on top of her, just as the king walks in. And then they cover his head in a bag. And I'm just here today to tell you, if they ever cover your head in a bag, that's not good. It's not good at all, right? And, and, and so the king says, what are we gonna do with this joker? And another servant speaks up. I don't know if it was the water boy or who it was, but somebody, some servant, well, about, well, sorry, on my way to work today, I saw that in the back of, of Mr. Heyman's house, he had built this big hangman's noose, 75 feet tall. I asked one of the workers what it was there for. They were building it to hang Mordecai the Jew on, the guy that saved your life. The king says, oh, really? Well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna impale him. We're gonna hang him on his own gallows. 
Gonna hang him on, you talk about rubbing salt in the wound, killing him the way he went. And again, out from under the hood, dope, right? And, and so that they hang Haman on his own gallows. And again, you my, how the tables have turned. So the king can't rescind his first edict about exterminating the Jews, so he sends out a second one. And in that second edict, he talks about provisions for the Jews and how they can defend themselves. And it comes to the last verse of the book of Esther I wanna show you. Look at Esther chapter nine, verse one. I'm gonna have you help me with this. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the, tell me the next three words, the the tables have turned. And every time I read the book of Esther, that's the theme. He's the God who turns tables. You will never find, Esther is very unique in all the books of the Bible. You will never, it's the only book of the Bible where God's name is never mentioned. You will not find his name written one time, but you will find his fingerprints all over the book. He is the God who works behind the scenes. He is the God that orchestrates. He is the God who's there. And maybe today you need to be reminded of that. Because maybe today you feel defeated. Maybe you feel defeated in your career. Maybe you feel defeated in your marriage. Maybe you feel defeated with your kids. Maybe you feel defeated with your faith. And you wonder silently, God, do you really see? Like, like God, can you really turn this thing around for me? And, and, and Esther shows us that God can turn anything around. Maybe not the way you thought it would go. But man, God... God gave sight to a blind man. He turned water into wine. He turned cowardly apostles into bold preachers. And I'm here today just to remind you that no power, no situation, no curse, no enemy, no demon can turn back or turn around God's power. He turned the tables for Mordecai. He turned the tables against Haman. He turned the tables for Esther. And friend, he can turn them around for you. The question becomes, how will we respond when God calls us? Uh, how will we respond? Will, will, will we try to insulate ourselves in our own little mental, worldly bubble to say, ah, oh, not me, I can't really make a difference. I, it's a big risk for me if I step out. Uh, will you stay cozy and comfy in your little bubble or will you step up and step out? Will you hold your tongue and stay quiet or will you speak up and will you speak out? The, the, the thing that I want you to leave with is may, may, may God give me, I know the day's coming when this culture is gonna kick back. It's already here. We live in a post-Christian culture. It's not, uh, I don't know if Christianity was ever supposed to be culturally relevant, but boy, that's becoming more and more apparent that the stands and the positions that we take We've got to run contrary to what this world wants. And friends, it's not time for us to huddle behind the safety of some castle wall. It's time to speak the truth in love. And so will you call, when God calls you, will you respond and say, if I perish, I perish. If, uh, if they don't like me, they don't like me. But I, I will stand and speak the truth in love. May God give us the courage and wisdom and strength in spite of how things appear to, to have the strength of Esther and when you, when you think you're outnumbered, remember God never is. He's the God who turns tables. Let me pray. Well, thanks again for tuning in. I hope that message encouraged you to love, live, and lead like Jesus. To become a disciple that makes more disciples. 
That is why Fern Creek Christian Church exists. Hey, while you're already on your mobile device, why don't you go to Apple Store or Google Play and download the Fern Creek Christian Church app today. On the app, you'll be able to see other podcasts we have, just like this one. You'll be able to stay up to date on Fern Creek Christian Church news and announcements, and you'll see events and the church calendar throughout the year. Man, you need to download this app today. I'm serious. Go do it. Hey, I want to take a second to invite you to worship with us on Sunday mornings, either online or in person. We have three services, one at 845 that we call our homecoming service. That features more hymns and southern gospel music. But then we also have two contemporary services at 10 and 1115. If you would like to give to the ministry happening here at Fern Creek, I want you to go online to our website, www.ferncreekcc.org and click on the big giving tab you'll see on our main page. If you would like to talk more about the message you just heard or you would like to pray with somebody, call us at 502-239-9300. Again, that's 502-239-9300 or email us at office at ferncreekcc.org. Well, if you're not already a member at Fern Creek Christian Church, we want this place to become your home. So with that, hope you have a blessed rest of your week. Grace, peace. See you next time, church.